Thank you for joining Analytics Today, a podcast series that focuses on big data and analytics and the latest trends in the digital world. I am your co-host, Jeremy Roberts, and with me always is my co-host, Samir Khan. Hey, Samir. Hey, Jeremy. How's it going? Good. Happy summer. Hey. Happy summer. It's one of today. I was checking the weather, and it's going to be one of the hottest days. It's going to go in triple digits in Fahrenheit. Yeah, I, I saw here in San Antonio, it said 103 degrees, and I was like, you got to change the element outside. Crazy. Look. Luckily, my house has good air conditioning and my car has good air conditioning. So I just go from air conditioning to air conditioning. <laughs> or blessed, man. That's oh, yeah. Great. So what, what's unique about the summer, and I think this is going for the topic today, I think for our listeners, what's unique about the summer is a lot of people look for jobs in the summer. I don't know why, but it's usually around holiday time, around Christmas time, and then around the summertime you sit back and you reflect on the current job that you have and you think, right. you know what, should I look for something new? And it's just something weird. So Samir and I decided to do, we're going to do a three part series. And in this three part series, we're going to call it how to land a high paying digital and analytics job part one, right? So part one is going to be around building that great resume, you know, building out your LinkedIn profile and stuff like that. Uh, part two uh, we'll do this uh, later on. Part two is going to be around the interview, right? And we'll do some mock interviews to where Samir and I will go back and forth and role play a little bit. And um, I'll ask him some really tough interview questions. He'll ask me some tough ones. And then we'll give you some do's and don'ts, right? Like <laughs> don't really do crazy stuff the interview. And then the third one will be, okay, you've landed the job. How do you walk in the door day one? with a 30, 60, 90 day plan and just destroy it. And Samir and I have done this ritually for every job and every manager we've had has just loved it. So we're excited. This is going to be a great topic, right? That's great. Cool. Yeah, let's do it. Cool. So number one, we're talking about part one, how to land a high paying digital and analytics job. Part one, what does it start with, right? Does I, let's maybe the resume, right? So yeah, I think the resume, uh, you know, how your outreach, uh, connecting with people, your LinkedIn profile. So, so the whole gamut, like how do you, how do you go? What's the first step that you take if you're trying to find a job in marketing, uh, marketing analytics, in you know, all kinds of marketing jobs, right? Marketing campaigns, programs, analytics. Well, demand maybe generation. let's start with the targeting. And, let's, and the thing is, what's funny is that Samir and I are going to maybe take some tactics that we would use as a marketer when we're going after our audience and we can take a step back and use that as going after a job. So when you're going after your target audience, right, you're going after who you want to sell to. First, you got to figure out who you are as a company, right, or who you are like as a company, who you are as an employee. How do you position yourself? Because before you build out your resume and your LinkedIn, it's got to have a theme. It's got to have something that drives you. So when you're interviewing, they say, oh, that, that one guy or that one girl that's this, and they remember you by something. Right. So mm -hmm. well, I guess, how do you, how do you decide who you are in today's world? Because there's it's so much noise. Exactly. I mean, do you yeah. go into demand gen? Do you go into automation? Do you go into big data? What do you do or how do you, how do you decide how to position yourself? Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, you know, I think that's some, that's a question that comes to a lot of people's minds who are just starting for marketing. And, you know, just being in the career space, in addition to the marketing space, what I try to look for, how people are positioning their themselves on the LinkedIn and other places, 
one thing I noticed that um, I, I don't think a lot of and this applies to may not apply to some people, but applies to a lot of people. They switch careers. Like some people go yep. from, hey, I was in sales, now I'm doing digital marketing. I'm a digital marketer. Like, like, all of a sudden, like me. sales. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And I, I was in IT and now I am in marketing. So it, we all do that. Right. And it's pretty normal to change the career. And, and, and the problem is no single person uh, or, or, or entity or HR department is going to tell you how you're going to build your career, how you're going to uh, manage your career. The exactly. way I recommend people is to look at not your job title, not your industry, not the country or place or city you're going to work in, but your income. If you start nice. with an income goal in mind, then you're automatically going to figure out ways to reach that income goal no matter what. And this also takes you from the path of your job. Eventually, if you want to become an entrepreneur, there's not, nothing to stop you, right? Because now you're following no. an income goal instead of a job title. So that's my two cents there in terms of how you- But you got to be realistic, right? You got to be realistic. Really, Don't- yeah. so, so it's one of those things where I remember, um, the, okay, and I'll, I'll give you different examples. You, let's say you're just graduated from college, right? And you've mm -hmm. maybe had some internships and other stuff. You can't expect to go into your first job in the marketing or analytics and make eighty dollars to $100,000 a year. It's not going to happen, Never right? Never going to happen, yeah. Even if you went from an undergraduate degree into a master's program and you still have an MBA, but you have no work experience whatsoever, you're still not going to make eighty to 100000 Maybe if you get lucky. You'll right. probably maybe between 50 and 75 to start with. You've got to have experience. So shoot for, uh, shoot for a goal, but be really realistic. Don't. <laughs> yeah. And I think it, and there is a, it, it, so there is a strategy on how you set up the goals. So absolutely. Like Jeremy, you said is when you start with a goal in mind, what I recommend people is to start with their one year, two year, yep. five year and 10 year goals. So that exactly. way you have, you have goals for each of those years. So absolutely, like you're starting out of college, you just got your degree, doesn't matter even if it's an MBA, you may be thinking, okay, I spent about $100,000 from a really good MBA, now I'm expecting a 100,000 salary, not gonna happen. But if you set up a three-year goal to say, okay, in three years, I wanna reach a 100,000 income goal, I'm starting at 60 right now, right out of the college, then yes, that, that is possible, that's doable. It's just that you need to set up different types of goals. So yeah, I mean, uh, the, the whole approach of taking an income goal approach versus a title job or company, it, it makes uh, people move in the right direction much faster than they would have been versus going with a title or a job. And you know what one of the tricks are with goals is actually writing it down. And people, they, some people will laugh at it and some people say, yeah, you know, what do you mean write it down? Okay. Either write it down on a piece of paper or open up your phone, go into the notes section and create a note that's called personal goals or career goals and write it down. And when I started doing this, I gave myself goals exactly like Samir said, based on years. I said, by this age, by age 30, by age 35, by age whatever, I want to hit this goal or I want to, by this age, I want to have a job that's paying me $100,000 or more. Right? right. And you hit that job and you're like, it's crazy how you do it. Or like, let's say I had a, a goal of saying I wanted to be at a director level and above for a publicly traded company in marketing. Right. I wanted to hit that. I wanted to have that director title just to feel like a sense of accomplishment. And I hit it. 
And it's one of those things to where you feel, you feel great because then you can go in there and check off something or you can erase it and that goal is done. You never have to worry about it again. But I think ultimately at the end of the day, what Samir is saying is find your goals and figure out and write them down and then go towards it. Don't let anything stop you with those goals. Yeah, and I think one way to and that's one of the one of the challenges that people have is like, okay, you know, I just got out of the college, or maybe I'm not, I'm I'm, I'm an interim manager, right? So I'm making about eighty thousand dollars. I'm in, uh, I'm a digital marketing manager, and I'm looking to succeed from here. Uh, a lot of people, and I was in that position at one time. I feel like I'm stuck, right? What do I need to do? Uh, how do I need to think about to take my income to one hundred and fifty or two hundred k? The way I think is you connect your personal goals with your income goal. So for example, like let's say if you want to buy a house uh, and if you're making about 50, 60, 70, 80, and you feel like you know, that's not going to be enough. So first off, you come up like, okay, in order for me to buy a house, my monthly expenses are going to increase to from a thousand dollars that I'm paying in my apartment to $2,000 or $2,500. If I buy a yep. decent sized house, then how much more that I need to add on top of what I'm making my expenses are to reach that level. And that will be a buffer. So maybe you need to add another $20,000 from your 80,000 salary. So that takes you to a hundred thousand. So now your new income goal is a hundred thousand. So that's how you come up with these numbers. You know, another example is you want to, you have your undergrad degree, but you want to go do an MBA. So you're going to from yep. a decent university like university of Texas or Rice University. And so you, you're going to need about like 50 to 100K depending on where you go. So that's another layer on top of where you are. So that's how you keep on adding to your income. A lot of people think, oh, okay, I'm going to be, once I reach 150, my life will be better. But they don't realize that once you get to 150, your expenses will be at the new level as well, right? So exactly. They, everything goes up. Everything goes up. You're going to start spending more. Like Jeremy, you're going to have four different cars and a great hobby. Yeah. <laughs> So it, exactly. It, exactly. So I think that's very important to align your life goals with your income goals. And for a time being, forget about your job title. Because, you know, let, let Jeremy, I'm going to put you on the spot. When you, sure. when you had that director level goal and you achieved it, obviously you were satisfied for that time frame. But did, yes. that, did that settle you? And it's like, okay, this is done. I'm not no. going to do anything more. No, it did not settle me. I was ready for senior director. I was ready to say, what is my next step as a VP? But, but aren't, are you, were you satisfied with your income or you wanted to grow your income more? I I'd absolutely wanted to grow my income. Absolutely. So, so, see, that's, see, the problem here is it's the title is going to give you a temporary satisfaction, mm -hmm. but your income is what's going to help you scale where you are from today. And I knew that I had to get a higher title to get that higher income that I wanted. You yeah, know, or maybe or you do that, something different, yeah. right? Yes, do something different. Uh, you know, it's not necessarily that you always look for the title, and, and that's what people miss are misled by the American sure. corporate culture. Is we assume that a better title means better pay, uh, and that's no. not always the case, right? A lot of people they don't have a title, but they're making millions of dollars. So this is, they are. This is what, yeah, this is what happens. This is America, you know that those things could happen. So that is the number one recommendation is aligning your personal goals to income goals and forgetting about the title or the industry for a bit. Yeah, no, I completely agree. And I think one of the things that's interesting in that is we go back to what we talked about of the idea around a target, right? You want to go and you want to target who you are and identify who you are as, as an employee. Like, am I a, 
you know, am, am I a marketing person? Am I a digital person? Am I an analytics person? What do I want to be? And at the end of the, at the end of the day, you don't have to be finite in something. Maybe you start with one thing. So some junior level marketers, um, contact me about, you know, I do a lot of mentoring and they contact me and be like, what do I do? How do I, how do I figure out what I want to do and where do I want to go? And one of the things I say, okay, what do you want to be in five years? What do you want to be in 10 years? They say, I want to be like where you are. I want to be like a director level of marketing who manages all these different channels. And I said, okay, tell me about the channels that you know right now. They tell me, and I sit there and I think, I don't think you really know about these channels that you haven't lived and breathed them yet. So start with email, become an email expert, then become a social expert, then become an analytics expert and master all the different channels. And once you've done that, then you can figure out which path to go. I mean, if you think about it, Samir started as an IT guy. Now he's in digital operations or marketing operations, right? For me, I started off as a, as a demand gen guy and now I'm a solutions consultant in sales. It has nothing to do with what I used to do, but all of my prior experience built up and I wouldn't be where I am today if I didn't have that prior experience. So don't, yeah. don't worry that step one is going to take you somewhere that you're expecting. It's the end goal. It's all about the end goal, right? It's take it a is, step, one is. step it, to get there first. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, uh, so that's a, that's a perfect point, Jeremy. Like it is always uh, for people who are trying to figure out like, Hey, what should I do? You know, maybe this is the hot market. You know, maybe I need to become an Instagram marketer because that's hot or uh, maybe yep. I need to do something on Facebook advertising. Don't chase the shiny object all the time. See where your passions are. If you're passionate about advertisement, then yep. Look at the advertisement in the broad scope and keep your mind and vision open for anything new that comes in that can fit into your portfolio, right? And you know, same thing if you're a web designer, developer, don't limit just to your web in one particular language. Like, hey, I'm only going to do HTML5. Unless you really become excellent at HTML5, like there's no one in the world just like you in HTML5. But if you're not, then you need to start to expand and say, okay, with, in addition to HTML file, I'm going to do some other programming as well. I'm going to, you know, get specialist in Java programming so I can manage the tags and you know, everything that happened on the website. I can specialize in uh, Adobe uh, video production. So that is also a part of the website so I can help people with the video. So try and have a slightly larger portfolio and also be flexible to move mm -hmm. from one place to the other, which Jeremy was exactly. talking about. You know, be flexible, be open. Uh, if changes come in the industry, then you can accommodate the change and it, it shouldn't impact you in a negative way. I agree. Cool. So let, let's jump to the next, um, the next thing. So you figured out kind of what you want to do. You figured out who you are. You figured out, you know, your, your goals in mind. Now you're building your resume. So what's the best thing to do? Is, and, and the first question is, well, should I go in and download a resume template? Sure. Should I build my own template? Sure. Um, how should I do it? There is no right answer, right? Just make sure that the resume is not an eyesore. Make sure it's not something when people look at it, it's got special colors in your picture and pictures of your kids on there or unicorns or it's scratch and sniff or it's 50 pages long, right? Like in my mind, a good resume is something that is not too short, so not 
five pages. I mean, ideally, if you have a decent amount of experience, two pages is great. If you're really good, maybe three pages. One page, I think you're selling yourself short. And Samir and I, uh, we both do hiring, so we may have different approaches. So I would say take my approach and take his approach and you figure it out for yourself. My recommendation is don't do a one-pager because you're trying to say everything you do into one page and you're selling yourself short. I want to be able to read your resume and if I don't like it off the bat, I'm not even going to pursue and go any further. You're done. Mm -hmm. So if you missed out on giving me information on that one page, that's your fault. It's not my fault that I didn't read it, right? Yeah, no, I think so, those, those are all great points. So why don't we talk about like, you know, people, misconceptions people have about their resumes. Like one that okay. you talked about was very good is the number of pages, right? I always get question about like, okay, my page, my resume, should it be one page or four page? It's not about the pages. It's about what you have in those pages, right? Yes. And that's what you were saying earlier is if you have enough to talk about and that provides the value to the hiring person or the HR person or the decision maker, then go for it. But that is, that we're not saying okay, so, write a, go write a book, uh, but your resume is no. not going to be like book. But, but at the same time, don't get stuck into the misconception about, oh, resume should only be one page or resume should be no. three page or four page. I'm going to call but total the, BS on those people. Yeah, it's about the story you're going to be able to tell people with your exactly. resume. So that's, okay. that's, so let's talk about stories. Yeah. Let's talk about stories. When, when somebody does a resume, I have this pet peeve of when I'm reading through it, they give these like strange, it's like bothers me. It's like this strange description of these magical things that they did, but they don't provide any context to it. It's like you're explaining that you changed the world by doing something magical with this company, but you don't put any numbers behind it. So I'm sitting there thinking, okay, really? Did you really do this? And how much did you just like, I, I come completely revolutionized the way we do marketing and was able to, you know, hack this and do all that. Okay. But what did you actually do? Did you increase ROI? Did you increase bottom line, uh, bottom line revenue? Did you increase overall conversion? What did you actually do? Right. In right. your resume, tell me, just, just tell me, it's like, you don't have to, there's no beautiful way to say it. Like you're writing a doctoral thesis, just come out and say it, just write plain English and tell me what you did, right? I mean. Yeah, yeah, I think that that's a very important point because your story needs to be backed by facts, right? You know, story, your story could be emotional to set the tone and connect with the person that you're talking to, and but it needs to be backed by some tangible fact that you can associate to it. And, you know, one of the things yes. that I, I highly recommend is, uh, and we can talk about it when we get to the part two of the getting to the interview and what you do in the interview, yeah. But a very high level, in addition to your resume, you need to also have your case studies. Uh, yes. so these are the case studies that will be the talking material when you get to the interview. And as, as we're going to talk about more in the, the subsequent series of this uh, uh, three-part uh, podcast show that we have in the analytics today. But, but like Jeremy saying, the stories are very important. It needs to be backed by real tangible facts that can connect you yeah. to that. Like star uh, method, right? Yeah, exactly. Like you, you, and I, you and I both use a star method, right? Situation, task, action, result. 
Tell me what the situation was, the task that you had, what actions you took, and what the results were. So we'll go into that later. We, we'll, we'll go down a rabbit hole <laughs> if we go into that. Okay, so back to the resume. Here's another yeah, thing. Misconception, let's talk about it. We yeah. talked about the, the pay, number of pages. We talked about the story. Uh, what else? What, what else? What are the misconceptions today in the market, Jeremy? Uh, anything that you can think of about the, the thing resume? Is that you, so when you're putting in there, you don't have to – you don't have to put every single job that you have, right? If your first two jobs were working at a pet store and then you were, um, and then all of a sudden, you know, did some yard work over the summer for something. And then you did maybe some quick stint at this company. If it has nothing to do with the job that you're getting ready to apply for, don't put it on there. Right. Yeah. It just yeah, makes them one. more curious to it's like, why did you do these other jobs and now you're coming in and you want to be uh, an analyst or you, you want to run my email marketing? So you were previously working at a pet store, but now you want to do my email marketing. I have no clue how that relates. Right. <laughs> and so then yeah, that's a, that's a misconception questions. that you have to list every single job. I agree with that. That's a, that's a very good one. Uh, another one that I, <clears throat> that I was uh, thinking about was the misconception regards to the format. You know, a lot of people yes. get bogged down about, like, hey, should I have my title at the top and then this description paragraph and then, you know, have more bullet points. And there is no, there is no, no. like a successful format, right? It, it is just like something has worked for someone and they thought that is the right format and everyone said, okay, let's just go follow that. At the end of the day, think about from a hiring manager or HR person standpoint, when they pick up your resume, when they look at it, how quickly can they glance in the five, 10 seconds they're going to look at your resume and identify the key things that matches the job description and the person exactly. that they're looking for? So that's how you need to tailor your formatting. Don't worry about following like what other people are doing or a specific format that your friend recommended or something you downloaded from online template. It is not about that. It's about positioning yourself for the job so that they can identify as a candidate and talk to you. Okay, how about this? How many resumes should I have? How many different resumes should you have for let's say you're applying to 10 different jobs that are slightly different with different titles? How many resumes should you have? That's a good question. It depends, right? If, it, if, it's, exactly. if, if you need to position yourself for a different job and you believe you have an experience that needs to be articulated much better, than what you have for this other job that you're applying for, then I don't see any problem with creating another resume Absolutely. for that job and sending yeah. it to, to the recruiter. Yeah, so that's the thing. You don't have to feel like there's one perfect resume, right? The resume should be very specific with the same type of tone and language and voice that fits the job that you're going after. And if you're curious about what keywords to use in your resume, Look at the job description. Look at the person who wrote the job description and how they're describing the job. Write it like that. Yeah, I it's, like that. Yeah, yeah cool. Yeah, so okay. that's, that's great. Uh, anything else from a misconception standpoint? Um, I, th I think really it's just try to figure out how to best tell a story. Because at the end of the day, I want to know who you are. You know, and and don't 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 try to sell yourself on something that you're not. So a misconception is you have to have this summary. And you always have to say that you're a data-driven 
results oriented marketer. Well, are you? I mean, I, the thing is you don't want, you don't want to interview with somebody like Samir or I and say that you're a data driven results oriented marketer. And in the first 30 seconds, we start asking you questions and we realize you could care less about data and you're scared of data, right? And we find out that you're really focused on writing in campaigns it has nothing to do with what you're, what you're saying you are. So basically right. we're saying, wow, what else in your resume is false? So, so that's a nice segue to the modern resume, which is the LinkedIn. Yep. Let's talk a little bit more about that, right? So LinkedIn, yeah. as we all know, has taken a place of a lot of different uh, things in terms of the hiring process, one of them being resume. So people no longer are uh, using, I mean, companies still have a formal process of submitting a resume in Word document format or PDF format, but a lot of employers are now using LinkedIn to find the right candidate and instead of people submitting their resume, the recruiters are reaching out on LinkedIn using a lot of different tools that LinkedIn offer, one of them being Sales Navigator and trying to recruit people directly based on their yeah. resume on LinkedIn. So what are your thoughts, Jeremy? I know you have a lot of experience. So, yeah, so for me, um, the last two jobs that I've had, I've actually landed through LinkedIn, just to let everybody know. Um, it, it really works. So some best practices, always have a picture. Always have a picture. If no you don't have eggs. a picture, yeah, right? <laughs> no, so, more, no more eggs. Exactly. If people no are wondering what eggs. egg is, like in Twitter, if you don't have a photo, it shows you an egg. You're basically an egg, right? So always have a picture, but also don't have a picture of you and your, your spouse or partner or whatever. Just a picture of you, not a picture with you and your kids or with your dog. Just a nice professional picture. Yeah, um, and I saw recently a photo a, of a gentleman. I mean, he, his profile looked really great, but he had a photo of his wedding with he and his spouse on LinkedIn. It was like, it, it was kind of interesting, right? Uh, like you said, like it, it's LinkedIn is not about, it's not Facebook. So we need to differentiate the photograph with your wedding photograph. Exactly. And LinkedIn does a great job of telling you how to fill out a 100% profile. The reason why you have to build out a 100% profile is because then it activates you to be, to be listed in the internal search and allows you to be better viewed and searched by other people based on keywords, right? So, Absolutely. So yeah, what that's that what means is... Search works. Yeah. Exactly. And so go in there, fill out a title. Make sure that title is on there, whether it's your current title, whether it's a job-seeking title. Create a title that's catchy but don't create something that's over the top and outrageous, right? Just, just be true to yourself, put in your, your school, put in your, um, you know, your job descriptions. And then one of the things that Samir and I, we were just talking about this as we were prepping for this podcast was when you put in, let's say your job. So let's say everybody knows Samir and I used to work at Rackspace, right? When we were both at Rackspace together, rather than him and I putting our job experience at Rackspace, what a lot of people will do is just put in about Rackspace in there. That is majorly wrong, right? Do not, do not write in, you know, I was the marketing manager for analytics or something at Rackspace and then put Rackspace is a web hosting company based in San Antonio, Texas. No, nobody wants to hear that because they already know who Rackspace is. They want to hear about what you did, right? Um, is there a length? to the amount of text that you put in? No, don't make it a novel. I would say make it bullet points, um, create paragraphs, make it so it's easy to read. 
and just put in something that's conversational. Talk about, tell a story about what you did. Maybe use the star method, right? Mm-hmm. But just fill out everything completely. Yeah, so. and I think it's important. Like I have uh, seen people limit their LinkedIn profile because they're worried that you know you're just doing too much. Uh, you're putting uh, you're putting too much information there. I really think that it doesn't hurt to put too much. Like no one has. I have a ton of stuff on my LinkedIn profile. Same here. And no one has come to me recruiter or what have you and said, Samir, you just have too much stuff. I don't think we're going to hire you. I have never seen that. So that's another myth about like the real resume, which is a LinkedIn resume is should be pushed too much. Is that going to be considered way too much? No, I have awards in there. I have my experience in there. Uh, I, from time and time we do these podcasts and blog posts and all the bunch of uh, the social media stuff. We have all of that in there. I do my presentations. Uh, I upload a presentation, which are public friendly. I upload them yep. there uh, in, in like what Jeremy saying, the description is also describing the value you're going to deliver for them. Right. So exactly you're marketing yourself. So how can you position yourself and, and say, Hey, you should hire me because of these, 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 not just because you had all this experience, but because what you can do for that organization uh, and yeah. how you can help them. So for instance, I'm on a few different boards um, I also work with a nonprofit. Um, Samir and I do the podcast. We do a lot of different things. All of that is listed on my, on my LinkedIn profile and I still got the job. And at the end of the day, they assume that you're going to be dead serious. If you're going to go and apply for this job, no matter what you do, like whether you have or sit on a school board or something like that, that's not going to take away from your job, right? Yeah, that's, that's going to be advantages if you're especially looking yeah. for you know, better jobs and leadership positions, then that will help you because people will see you as a leader and someone they can hire. And the person is going to be more responsible in building, manage your time, building building team. Yeah. Managing time. Exactly. Manage your time. I mean, the fact that you're a busy person, you can still do all this stuff. They're like, wow, you can actually manage your time. You can actually go out and get all this stuff done. I really like that. So, you know, that's nothing. Here's another thing. If you don't like the format that LinkedIn has, fill it out a hundred percent and then say, for more information about me, visit my personal website. Then go build a personal website and do whatever the hell you want. Yeah. Right. That, you can build anything idea. you want. Right. You know, Absolutely. and with that, you can just go ahead and do that. But I would say just figure out a format that works for you and figure out something that you want and then do it the way you want. Right. Because you're selling yourself. And here's an example why if somebody wants to, promote themselves, right? If somebody wants to showcase himself as a very specific person, like who's very serious and very data driven and is very put together and so on. And, but then in real life, you're really goofy, really goofy. You tell jokes or you think you're funny. Like I am. Um, I think I'm funny because my kids tell me I'm funny. Right. (laughs) Or no, I, I'll go into a serious meeting and I'll be that one guy that'll crack one joke just because They know I'm serious, but they know I'll crack a joke in a meeting, right? I'm going to reflect that on my resume. I'm going to reflect that on my LinkedIn profile. I'm not going to be personality. Yeah, I'm going to be somebody. I'm not going to be something that I'm completely not online. And when they meet me in person in an interview, they're going to say, "Oh my gosh, who is this person?" Yeah, that's you're completely different. You're completely different from your LinkedIn profile. Like, yeah, I I think you you need to be relatable, right? What you come out as in LinkedIn as a person, be the real person that you are. Uh, don't try to make portray the picture of completely different. Like what Jeremy's saying, yeah. 
you need to, when you go for the interview from that resume that you had on LinkedIn, you, people can relate to you and said, yeah, I, you looked like a person that you represented yourself in LinkedIn. Uh, and that automatically established your repo and connection. So speaking of connection, let's talk about in the few minutes that we have uh, about the networking piece. And networking. maybe we can do another show on the networking because that's such a big topic. It but, is a huge one. But, but networking is a big deal for me because almost, I would say 60 to 70% of the jobs that I've ever landed is was because of my network. So that, 100%, same here. Yeah, it, it, it is. It, it is very powerful to leverage. And a lot of people don't realize that they're still in the job applying mode. You know, I, I have jobs open in my team and I've got like hundreds of resumes. Do you really think that I'm going to siphon through hundreds of resumes to identify the candidate? Or I would use my network or my past colleagues and people that I work with or people that I know that they work with to find the right type of candidate. Yeah. I will do the latter because that makes it more trustworthy. That makes it someone that I can relate to and someone I have worked with in the past. And I do give people an opportunity from time to time who have not worked with, and I do look at the resume. That's not saying that you know resumes are completely obsolete, but networking is extremely powerful. I have personally got hired to new companies, and I've hired a lot of people through relationships. So networking is extremely powerful, and LinkedIn is the best place you can find to network with the right people. So somebody will say on LinkedIn, what if I get these random invites from these people? Should I connect with them or not? Or should I keep to my close network? No, my recommendation is network with everybody, right? If people yeah. try to connect with them on LinkedIn, if they're not trying to sell you something, then yeah, you can think twice about it. But if it's somebody who just wants to connect with you, connect with them. You would be shocked at who these people know. And you'd be shocked at who they might know. And you'll, you're able to be found through recruiters through other people too. Because remember, it's first, second, and third degrees um, on LinkedIn. So, and my recommendation with networking is, you know, people, it's, it's almost like, uh, I guess, in a relationship, right? When you, when you meet somebody for the, and you're talking to them, you're going on a date or something, the first thing they're going to do is they're going to bring their friend, right? And their friend's going to come to the date with you. And then, you know, they just want to make sure that you're not scary and you're kind of safe. And the friend's going to kind of feel you out to make sure that you're not creepy or anything, right? or that you're a good fit for their friend. At the end of the day, it's going to be that friend's recommendation that gets you the second date, right? It, it, it's in the same way with, with business. If Samir is looking for a candidate and I give him um, a reference, he's going to say, wow, I like their resume, but I have some, some concerns about this. He's going to ask me. And if I say, yeah, that was a big concern of mine and that's kind of, I had some issues with that, what is he going to say? No, nah, I'm not going to deal with that. But if I say, yeah. actually, no, there was a misunderstanding with that, and I back him up, boom, he'll be able to take that quick and easy. So networking yeah. is absolutely key. Yeah, and it's it's a very, very powerful strategy to find the best jobs uh, and for, for the best company if you are able to link with people. And one of the, one of the things that you know, people are – what I do is sometimes you reach, you get these HR people that reach out to you and be like, Hey, are you interested in this job or not? A lot of people may say yes or no. Or, or, you know, if they say no, then, you know, just telling HR people that I'm not interested. What I tell them is every single time I tell them, yes, what happens then it creates a communication pathway. And then what happens, like if that position is not something that I'm going to do, I, I tell them like, Hey, guess what? 
that position doesn't match as my profile, but if you're okay, I'm going to share that with my LinkedIn network and spread mm -hmm. the word like, hey, you know, there's a company that's hiring digital marketing jobs. If you guys are interested, reach out and I'll connect you to the right person. So I'm doing two things. First is I'm establishing repo with that HR person nice. so that future opportunity has been created. Second, I'm helping them, even though I'm not personally interested, I'm helping them spread the word so they can find the right candidate because in, on LinkedIn, you're always a connection away from someone you're trying to connect with, right? So, so keep yep. your doors open and be receptive and be diligent to use your LinkedIn. Like you, know, like, like you check your Facebook or Instagram or other profile, make sure you check. Like I see sometimes like when I look at networks and uh, people who are logging into LinkedIn, they don't use LinkedIn that frequently. They think like, no. oh, LinkedIn, I'm just going to go to LinkedIn when I need my job. No, there's a lot of things happening. You can connect with people. You can establish contact. You can build a relationship. It's a very, very powerful platform. 100% agree. And I think that, that that'll conclude, I guess, for us, part one. Uh, part two, we'll be back and talk about the interview process, and we'll do some mock interviews. I'll try to come up with the most difficult questions I can for Samir, and I'm sure he'll ask me some really crazy stuff too. So it, <laughs> it, it'll be fun. <laughs> so keep, uh, keep tuning so, to our uh, Analytics Today podcast show on iTunes or SoundCloud or Stitcher or our website, which is analyticstodaypodcast.com. Uh, and exactly. we will continue to deliver great quality content. Yep. And, um, and again, and also you want to uh, give a plug for Coach Samir, huh? Yeah, we can talk more about uh, in the interview process. But, you know, on, apart from in doing the show with Jeremy and working uh, in different organizations, I also run my own coaching and consulting business where I help marketers uh, achieve new income milestones. So you can find me on thecareercoach.co. That is my website, thecareercoach.co. So hit me up there and you can get more information how you can connect with me. Sweet. And that will conclude our show today. And thank you, Samir. This has been awesome again. Happy summer. And I'll, uh, I'll see you soon. Thank you, Jeremy. Great work. Yep. Thanks, man. Bye.